1: we can talk for hours about the amazing careers that young people from that school have been have gone through you know we have we have fighter pilots we have extraordinary people in the public eye people who are journalists people who are artists we have you know my little list of the hundreds of the hundreds of kids who have worked with me through year 12 are some of the highest achieving young young and now not so young adults amazing. Now, this episode was a particularly special
2: one for me. I was lucky enough to have the Wendy Trow as my English teacher in high school. Now, if you don't know her or if you've never experienced Mrs. Trow in her element, you're about to get a small taste of just how fabulous she is. This is a woman who has inspired countless students to fall in love with all things reading and writing. Her impact is evident as many of her ex-pupils continue to keep in touch and still to this day cite Wendy as one of their favourite teachers of all time. And I'm happy to vouch for that because that's what she is. Through and through, Wendy was born to be an educator – And it is an absolute honour that today I get to share with you the story of someone who has impacted my life in such a big way. The one, the only, Wendy Trow. Now, just to get things rolling, a little bit of housekeeping. First up, thank you so much for clicking on this podcast. My name's Monica O'Hanlon, and you could say I'm a bit of a sticky beak. I just love hearing people's stories because it's true what they say, everyone's got one. I work at Gove FM in North East Arnhem Land in the NT. It's one of the most remote and unspoilt parts of Australia. If you're someone who isn't familiar with it, here's what you need to know. The Yungle people are the traditional owners of this region their vibrant culture dates back more than 40,000 years. The hub, where I live, is called Nullemboy, a town created on the Gove Peninsula after the establishment of the bauxite mine. You're probably asking, what's the purpose of this podcast? I've met so many weird and wonderful people, whether they're from here or just passing through. I want to know how their path led them to this tiny little dot on the map. And it would be my absolute pleasure to share it with you. Wendy, or Mrs Tro, I always feel like I need to call you Mrs (laughs) Tro, which you probably hate. I'm sure you do. Like 10 years ago, I think I graduated year 12.
1: I reckon it was.
2: And you were my English teacher for at least two of those years. I reckon three. Three years. There Mm -hmm. you go. Mm -hmm. And you also, I mean, we've... I don't I feel like I've probably told you this over a wine but I I feel like you were a big part of the direction I I would end up going into uh, with journalism and stuff uh, so
1: thank you. <laughs> Do you know when I when somebody told me that, and I'm not sure if it was you because we might have been having a glass of wine, but someone <laughs> certainly told me that, and, and it's one of the proudest moments that I've had in a long, long time. Because <laughs> what a journalist you are, and uh, if I had anything to any part to play in that, I'm very, very happy and proud.
2: You know. I- I um, I feel like I'm certainly not alone in that. I've heard a lot of people say similar things. You have an absolutely incredible teaching style and the way that you do teach is so inspiring. Now, I do want to get into that a little bit later, but right now let's delve into the Wendy Tro story. <laughs> uh, so I've known you in the context of of
1: Boy, uh, You've been a teacher here for how, 17 and a half years? I've been in town for 17 and a half years and I, my first class was in 2004. So I've been teaching at the school, this is my 15th year. Wow. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All beyond my wildest expectations. I was born in a town of about 10,000 people um, in southwest Queensland on the Darling Downs, a town called Dolby. That in in many ways a bit like Gove. Everyone's been there, and or, or uh, knows someone who's been there. It's a bit of a crossroads, rural town, about ten thousand people, as I said. And uh, my mum and dad uh, had been had grown up there, both of them, and had met there. They had a, a bit of a uh, a long-standing relationship all around communications because my dad worked for the old Postmaster Generals Department, the <laughs> Origins of Australia Post, and my mum worked for the telephone exchange. Um, so uh, they, were, they had a very tight hold on all communications in and out of that little town, I think, between them. <laughs> they met at school. And um, they married in Dolby in 1958, and uh, they're still there at this very moment they're still there 61 years later in wow. exactly the same house that they came home to after their honeymoon at Maroochydore oh. on the Sunshine Coast and they haven't moved <laughs> a centimetre it's had a small extension and the toilet was at one point bought upstairs but other than that uh, they are very much um, part of that community and we were all born and raised there four of us on the second of four we were all born and raised there and uh the other's quite close by now and uh, and and me here in gove but uh had all all my schooling there I went to uh, St Columba's Catholic school for my primary school and um, up until year 10 and then across to Dolby State High School for year 11 and 12 wow. hmm.
2: So you're the you're kind of
1: the black sheep of the family that you kind of, you went rogue Wendy I went rogue <laughs> Rogue, my, my siblings uh, have been known to refer to me as the Empress of the North. <laughs> that is, she who returns when it suits her, uh, which uh, is, is not quite true. I do try to get back for weddings, parties and anything, but uh, I uh, I do have some distance, uh, and uh, which gets tougher and tougher as time moves on. But uh, every time I go home, and I'll be there in a couple of days, every time I go home, I still um, am set to sleep in Wendy's room and uh, my children, when they go there, are set to sleep in Wendy's room and it's exactly the same room that I moved into in 1962 as a tiny baby. So really? there's it's- very much a sense of home in our family. Do you still have the posters and like your old bedspread and everything? No, I think there might have been a little bit of Bay City roller burning at some <laughs> point <laughs> and mum got rid of all the tartan. But, uh, but essentially, no, that's not all there. It's a little bit more just uh, suit suitable for anybody now. It used to be bright orange and tartan. <laughs> though I don't I'm not sure I've admitted that aloud. I hope I haven't admitted <laughs> that aloud, but that is the truth.
2: I love it. Um, what, what was it like growing up in Dolby? because I, I don't think I've ever been. Is it dry there?
1: Yep, it's uh, it's, ho- it's very, very hot. it's very, very cold. Um, it's very, and it, it was traditionally a wheat growing area and uh, agricultural kind of hub if you like. Um, and flat. It's kind of in the shadow of the Bunya Mountains, of the Great Dividing Range, but um, beyond that, it's just a flat plain, um, and some of the, I suppose, some of the best agricultural country in the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, but we weren't farmers. We weren't. We weren't on the land. We, Mum and Dad, bought a Housing Commission house, which they paid off, and for shillings a week across uh, thirty or forty years, I think. I remember everything. The, the um, Fundamental in our growing up was um, a, a relationship with the Catholic Church. Sometimes positive, sometimes negative. There are so many stories about being brought up as a as a as a Catholic in a small town like that. Um, and we were, we were all there, and um, all at Catholic schools. My older brother, me, my sister, and my brother, who were younger than me, and they all had all of the nuns had their. Four, it, it's I find it so incredible that in my insignificant lifetime, you know. 50 years, whatever it is, I'm 56 years old, but 50, 50 years involved in education, um, that, that that whole that whole thing has disappeared. Do you know, that the notion, I, I don't know that you'd find a nun in Australia today working, and I don't know, I don't know, but certainly in the places that I know through my time uh, as a Catholic school child, um, it... it the numbers of religious working in that place just decreased and decreased by the year. It was almost like we were living in the demise yeah. of religious edu- of religious people providing religious education. So, by the time that I left, you know, when we first got there, the, when I first started school when I was five or six, those nuns were dressed in the what, what would now be considered quite ancient regalia. Um, and we were intensely curious always about what their hair looked like or <laughs> what they're... We never saw, you know, except for the, the kind of the absolute face, the round part of their face, you never saw any part of them. Black yeah, you wouldn't in,
2: see their ears or anything? No,
1: you? no, no. Black in the winter, white in the summer, they kind of dictated the seasons for me. You'd watch <laughs> and see what Sister Teresa Mary was wearing across from the convent that day and you'd know that it was the new term because she was in her white dress. And then as the seasons turned, you know, there they'd be in their in their black dresses. But, um, oh, they were, yeah, women, intel- intelligent women, scary women. I never felt unsafe or troubled. And, in fact, in my whole family, we often talk about, you know, with the things of the rise about Catholic education system and some of the uh, exploitation that we hear about far too often, you know, that the four of us were never... We we've had the discussion many times, and the four of us never felt unsafe, mm. even though with with high exposure to uh, nuns, priests, and the Christian Brothers. Between the four of us, we didn't didn't we have no none of that kind of experience, but they were scary. <laughs> and if you didn't know your three times table, you know there was trouble. There was a, a real sense of accuracy and. Uh, Academia, amongst them, they were harsh in terms of their expectations, and I was never even curious about it as a young as a young woman. But um, I, when I think back at it now, I'm curious about them yeah. and, and what what they were thinking and what kind of strictures they had on their life. I remember that I mean I remember it, that the Sisters of Mercy convent in Dolby when they got their first car. In about 1972, I was probably 10 and, they, and and this car appeared and we were just astounded because they used to just walk. They had just walked in pairs around that town, it was my memory of them. My mum always was grateful because my mum wasn't a Catholic um, and she, she was always grateful for the grid pattern in Dolby because the nuns would visit on Sundays, they'd walk in pairs, you know, and we, we were on lookout. We'd... We'd be in the middle of the street.
2: look lookout. Yeah,
1: we're on Nun lookout, and my mum would say, "If they're coming, just let me know." And you'd see them, you know, five blocks away, crossing the footbridge, on their way towards the south side of town to have a chat to the parents. Do you
2: think that, like that kind of strictness? Would you say that's how you became a good teacher? Like, it, I guess, it really nails in that education. Well, I can
1: read and write. Yeah, and I didn't have much choice. <laughs> it was, it was quite compelling. You, to to learn how to do that, no, and that, that makes it sound very trite, but um, but we had we had that same ethic though from our family. Yeah. So that kind of thing is a is a kind of a combination thing. My dad was um, my dad was a a, a very clever man. Should have been a teacher. Every time I see him now, and he's he's now eighty three years old, but uh, he he to me would have been the absolute consummate teacher. But of course, you know, financially and everything way back in the, the early 50s, there was no chance of that for him. He, he also held, they also held a really strong and stern, not, not no, stern's wrong, but that education, our education was important to them. Yeah. And I, I was thinking about it just the other day I, <laughs> about, because on budget day, And I've always been really interested and quite motivated public speaker, even like I used to go in all the competitions when I was a kid and (laughs) be in the debating team. And and, uh, every year on budget night, my dad, who's also incredibly politically astute, on budget night, my dad would sit and take notes with a stubby little pencil and notebook as he listened to the budget being brought down from Canberra. And by the time I got up the next morning, he had a, a lecturette prepared for me. And it was my job to go, whether, and that, I can remember doing it in year three, four, five, six, and seven. And, then, and the nuns would come into the room to listen <laughs> to Wendy Tro deliver Pat Tro's version <laughs> of the budget. Now, I don't reckon the Sisters of Mercy had terribly much interest in the fact that the packet of smokes, packet of Peter Stuyvesant's had gone up by a cent. I don't think they had much interest. But my, it was always about the cost of stamps, the cost of grog, the cost of cigarettes and what this new budget meant to the working man. So it was the, had the same slant on it year after year and I would stand, learn it off, dutely, dutifully deliver it to class after class during the day. And so my dad was a stickler for that too, you know, wow. very much working class, very much... Uh, a stickler for politics, wanting us to know, wanting us to be aware, politically aware, and um, and pretty keen that we were that we could, uh, you know, do, do the reading and writing and the arithmetic stuff. I'm glad you shared that because uh, for those of you
2: out there listening who don't know, Wendy. Wendy is famous in the town for her speeches. She does a ripper speech. I still remember the opposable thumb one. (laughs) I don't know how long ago that was. I think 11 years, maybe 12 years ago. Yeah, I had a reprise about a couple of years ago. (laughs) Sometimes I run out of material. (laughs) When when you first got into like reading it out, uh, his version of the budget out, was it something that you liked to do? Did Absolutely. you en- you yeah. enjoyed it Indeed. from the start? Yeah. So it
1: kind of planted that seed. Sure. He did. Yeah. He, he's he's. I, I see him as being solely responsible for that. And then you know my mum said, well, look, we have to do something with this, and off I went to speech and drama classes and and that kind of thing to get my voice right. And and then I and then all that remained to me was to do the thinking. For me, it was to do the thinking. Ah, I suppose it all makes sense now. And <laughs> and I. Yeah, I, I I kind of feel like I was a blogger when I was eight but just in the head like I, I and I still do now like I blog in my head I rarely commit it beyond my head <laughs> I like sharing them and making people laugh sometimes yeah but I, I do like the opportunity to have a have a uh, public audience and um, they're pretty they've been pretty appreciative here and I like teaching kids to do it as well yeah. And uh, we do quite a lot of that at school and it's the most important skill there is as far as I'm concerned in terms of doing what we do. Absolutely. And then I can sit here opposite young people like you and know that yeah it maybe it had an impact as well. Absolutely. What you talk about and how you say it.
2: Yeah, that's right. Say anything with enough conviction and exactly. <laughs> exactly. Were you would you say that you were a Good child, well-behaved child at school.
1: I was a really well. I, I was a really well-behaved child at school. In fact, really? <laughs> at my senior, I was actually, you know, in the old days there used, there used to be. Um, I guess we used to call it teacher's pet. I don't think we call it anymore. Call it that anymore. There's other more um, psychologically appropriate terminology. But in those days, I, I think I probably suffered from uh, the label of being the teacher's pet. In fact, at my senior formal in 1979, we all got a little award you know, a little fun award. Yeah. You know, one girl got a can of pure and simple. And <laughs> all sorts of other things happened. And I got a little pa- packet of Band-Aids for the my sore knees from having been crawling to all of the teachers for my entire schooling. <laughs> I think that was a little unfair. <laughs> Most depictions of me at school, ha- I have a halo drawn around my head, sometimes around my neck. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so I guess... If you were well behaved, then you must have... Like, it's nice you probably... Like you said, you're a teacher's pet, so you treated your teachers with respect. Did you think that you would go into teaching? Like, did you always know that I always knew that.
1: Really? Yeah, I always knew that. That I can't remember a time when I didn't know that or didn't think that. And it was inspired by strange things... I used, to, I used to watch teachers take, and I'm, I'm not an organised person really, but I used to watch my secondary school teachers especially um, with bundles of papers, because in those days it was all in paper on paper form, bundles of papers that they would take home and dutifully they would mark, and we still dutifully mark now, you know, generations on. But I quite liked the idea of that. I quite liked the idea of that level of organisation and that level of learning. And I know it. There was never anything for me, else for me. I've tried many times to move my career, to you know, quite in quite concerted ways to move away from it. And and it is like a very strange compulsion. It's like a magnet teaching for me. Wow, it just seems to work for you. Well, it, I'm glad. Yeah. Sometimes I think it's a little bit subconscious. I don't, I'm not even aware of it as a as a as a, wor- a work or a chore or a job or whatever other words you might put with it. It's just something that I do. I walk into classrooms still. I'm, you know, old now. But for 36 years I've been walking into classrooms and, and now I feel such a level of comfort with it um, here um, that really I, don't, I, I go in and I share stuff. Really? I just share stuff, I which it, I guess is different to teaching. So
2: I don't think it's it different. I don't think that's different at all. There's so many students out there that are so happy that you that you have been in the business for 36 years. Was yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: 36 years. Wow. I started in 1984. Was my first teaching position. Incredible. I was at I was at my niece's 21st birthday just a couple of weeks ago in Toowoomba, and I have a photo actually, a, a wonderful photo because just up behind me came a, a lovely woman who I I have met a couple of times since, but she was in my very first year eight English class in 1984 (laughs) and uh, she's friends with my sister and her children are friends with my nieces and uh, and it's just it's just marvellous to have that continuity and connectivity from the Queensland bush (laughs) (laughs) so from the Queensland bush how did you end up in Nulamboy then Uh, married someone I guess that's what happens sometimes. <laughs> um, my husband Andy and I had been married f- um, for a little while. We were married in 1996. And um, we had a number of, you know, the connections I think with Gove and all the rest of the world are, are pretty well known if you give it the time to think about it, take the time to think about it. But um, Andy worked as an electrician at the Paul's Dairy in Brisbane. Or I think it was Paul's then, or Parmalat, or whatever it became. Still there on the on the the riverbank in West End, and um, we had we had met, and there just seemed to be a little bit of a direct line, like fellas from Gove who finished their apprenticeships. As often happens, one got a job at Paul's, and then there's a little bit of a line starts. Okay. People say oh, it's really good here. Come down, and so. There are a number of fellows who were working at Paul's uh, as electricians um, and working with Andy, a little bit younger than Andy and um, and we kind of did the reverse as they'd kind of come down to Brisbane from Boy, conversations with them and we were at a little bit of a got to a little bit of a place in both of our careers. We had two young kids and and we felt like we, we had we felt like we had really good jobs in Brisbane. But one day, almost one day, we thought we could be doing these jobs when we're 60, and we we're we we're only 40, and or in our 40s, and and so maybe it was time that we started to have a look at what else there might be. Kids were young enough. Rosie was was four when we came here, and um, and Ned was just 18 months old and, um, and because Andy was having these people were now in, in our friendship group, and um and instead of just the flip side occurred, instead of people encouraging people down to pools, Andy was encouraged to apply to apply for Gove. So we did the reverse journey. Mm-hmm. And um we said, as I think lots of people do, we're employed by Nabalco. He and I came up for an interview, and we kind of really the decision was made like this, how bad can it be? Um, we recogn- we kind of recognised that whatever, a, a, you know, a different and unusual career move like this might throw at us, we'd be right, the four of us would be right. And um, there was a two-year kind of stay for two years or, or you have to relocate yourself back to Brisbane, which was enough of a a carrot for us. So we did make a commitment in our heads for two years and that was in 2001. So... We've just clicked over. We're just about to head into number year number 18. Wow. It's great. And no one, my father-in-law, who who I love dearly, who's since passed away, um, he said to me, you won't last a month. (laughs) And so every time anyone says to me, what are you still doing there, Wendy? You've been there for ages. I said, you have to blame my (laughs) father-in-law. He he said, you can't do this. And I said, oh, you know what, I'm going to give it a red hot go. Spite. Eh? A little bit. <laughs> well, yeah, there was a little bit of that involved. And, well, everyone's surprised. We're surprised. But well, we're still here and we can't imagine being anywhere else.
2: Can I ask you how you and Andy met? Because Andy hmm. is from England, That's right? That's
1: correct, yeah. Um, do you know the answer? to This? Are you no, me no, up no, 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 no. How are we met? Um, it is actually quite a good story. I don't know how uh, if, uh, how much of myself I might be revealing here, but um, simply um, way back at some time in the in the middle nineties um, or the early nineties, um, uh, both Andy and I simultaneously had sort of moved out of, of um, troubled or difficult relationships. Yeah. Uh, as a result of that I had um, bought myself a little apartment, uh, a little unit um, in Yuronga in Brisbane on the river, just a tiny little thing, 40 square metres, one bedroom, you know, not like real swing a cat thing. Um, and I had bought it as an investment and um, I put an ad in the courier mail and looking for someone to rent it, not in a share capacity, I was living somewhere else, but I, w- I had it as an investment. And um, so people say, oh, yes, you advertise for your husband in the paper, which is not quite correct, but it is actually true. <laughs> so I put an ad in for this little apartment, and um, Andy, Andy phoned me one morning, and, and he said, you know, this lovely um, English accent, he said, uh, uh, hello, I've seen your ad in the paper. I wonder if um, I could have a look at the, at the unit. And I said, yeah, sure, you know, um, you go round, have a look. If you think you want to pursue it any further, then give me another call and I'll meet you around there. And that's what happened. He said, I, I would really like to pursue it. I just have to measure up whether my couch will fit or not. So can I meet you around there this afternoon? And uh, that's what happened. And we met on the riverbank at Yoronga that afternoon. And whilst it was a slower um, and much scarier process for him, I fell in love right then. Absolutely right then. Um, we, had, we went out for dinner a couple of weeks later. Um, and uh, we were married 10 months later
2: Wow you know it's so strange but everyone that I'm interviewing on this they all have this love at first
1: sight yeah situation. Andy didn't I just need to say that <laughs> no Andy didn't and I, but I did yeah and when the night he moved in to the to the unit my uh, my friend Andrea um, and I uh, went around just to make sure that the lease was signed and everything else and um, we actually crouched in the Bushes just to see if there was any evidence of another person or if he was actually on his own. So it was kind of a stalking thing for a little while. He'll die that I'm telling you this thing. I feel like
2: it's the start of a. You should write a romance novel. Oh, indeed. I was like, it wasn't so
1: romantic, really, but it was. Uh, but anyway, we were married 10 months later. We eloped. And um, we were married 10, 10 months later, and um, our daughter Rosie was born 10 months after that. So. Yeah, it's great, so I was thirty three. I was thirty three years old when I met Andy. What were your first impressions of Gove? The thing that the thing that told me that I wanted to be here was the drive from the wharf back in to the plant. You know there's that there's this kind yeah. of a, what is it a, the spit, a spit with a spit, <laughs> um, driving back towards town. You know, the fuel tanks, are, the oh, fuel tanks are there on your left and then the ocean is just, it, the colour the color there. I, and I remember saying to Andy, we were with one of the HR fellows and I remember just saying to Andy, we can we can do this. This is beautiful. We can do this. And um, I liked the sameness of, I, I liked the sense of, well, I don't you know, politically incorrect, I know, but I liked the, I liked the equality of the housing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I liked that sense that it was all in one in all in. You know, when you when you buy a, a property in a in a major city, you kind of look at the postcode and you wonder who might live around you. And you know, you know, there are postcodes and there are postcodes, and people are hung up on that sort of thing. And we quite liked the thought that um, I quite liked the thought that it was, yeah, one in all in. All the houses are the same. Pretty much. There's like three models. Pretty much. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's right,
1: and I and I quite I just like that sense of I don't know I don't know if it's equality I don't know if it's a sense of equity a sense of but there was a sense of togetherness that that brought yeah and um, yeah and I, we knew we knew it was a little bit risky but oh my goodness me um, everything everything that matters in our world has has moved through been to or is from this place that's that's how it is yeah. and I think that's really important yeah definitely
2: did you so on that drive back yeah. when you were looking at the water yeah. did you think yeah i'm going to be here for another 17 and a half years
1: no i did not <laughs> not at all that's that's the big surprise and it's still a surprise to us but we we'd not 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 able to imagine where else we might be but um we no one no one my father in law and a whole lot of other dozens of other people Including us, didn't think it would be this long. Yeah. But our children, our children, my son particularly considers this to absolutely be his home. He is he is at his spiritual best and his absolute best and his absolute happiest when he's here. Mm-hmm. And I, I, and I love that. I love that we've been able to give that to him. What do you think?
2: Like coming from, so you were living in Brisbane and then coming somewhere so remote I think it's one of the most remote places in the southern hemisphere that's right something like that absolutely yeah
1: Yeah. what were the biggest adjustments for you I missed my friends Mm -hmm. I guess but they they uh, and those those the people that are rushing through my mind now continue to be my friends so those relationships have been you know fairly comprehensively maintained over time the biggest adjustment was probably the closeness, the physical closeness, and the the that sense that people knew what was going. everyone knows what's going on all the time. I, yeah. I, I I guess what I'm trying to
0: hiring for your small business, if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
1: like that I'm not sure what the right word is but I felt a little bit exposed at times yeah, you feel I can, a little bit exposed yeah. that's that's a good word and that probably comes with the you know the how the closeness of the housing and what the curiosity of a new town where uh, the town remains always curious about new people totally and you stick out like a sore thumb yeah that's it and and so you you um i remember being really um I remember being on the steps of the of the preschool uh, which is where I think most new mums to town m- make their friendship group, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. it's where I did in many ways. And I remember, um, <laughs> this is a silly thing to say, but a woman who still remains a really good friend of mine came up to me on the steps of the preschool and she said, hi, we've heard about you, you're from Queensland. And I went, oh my God, what is it about me that tells tells you that I'm from Queensland? And so I kind of quizzed her on that. I said, why, why, she didn't, no one had told her I was from Queensland. She knew I was new but didn't know I was from Queensland. I said, what is it about me that um, tells you that I'm from Queensland? And I was a bit concerned and I kind of quizzing her for a little while. And she said, the number plate's on your car. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't as sinister as I might have thought. But um, we, yeah, so there was that, that, that exposed for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But Nothing to hide. But yeah, yeah. Here we were, do, you know, fighting the good fight, doing the good things, bringing up our kids and and uh, working hard. And, and uh, we fitted in hand to a glove, I reckon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We did all the stuff, you know, how to host a murder party, tequila <laughs> nights and all the things that bring people together, book clubs and, you know, I've been the president of five or six organisations in town and yeah. we've been in highly involved, especially when the kids were here and... Um, yeah, so you just move on with it. Yeah. Right. Still can't imagine living anywhere else. Well, that's a good sign.
2: Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. Was it hard as a because Ned was 18 months old? Mm-hmm. Was it hard? Because I feel like, well, in my head, the idea is when you have a baby, you have the family to kind of so you can just palm him off, you yeah. know, so you can do
1: your own thing for a bit. Yeah. Was that a hurdle or not really? Yeah. It was, but the great advantage for us is that Andy's always been a shift worker, so with a four days on, four days off uh-huh. kind of shift. and in fact, when I first got here um, in the couple of years that we were here before I started working at the high school, I was travelling back to Queensland to work in my old job. and um so I used to when andy was had his four days off, I would often I would fly out and work in Cairns and Townsville and Rockhampton um, continuing with my old job I was an education advisor in literacy and English oh, wow. and so they kept, they kept flying me back and I just looked after the northern half of the state for a little while, Not it didn't go on forever but for a little while and I think there's, I always believe there's great bonuses for parents at, with shift work mm-hmm. because Andy was always home for three and a half days, has, has always been home for three and a half days and so we didn't feel that we um it's not like we were both working the same hours every day there was a we almost had a roster within the family
2: yeah that's unreal child
1: care provisions very good here and we were very very lucky for that and we were always strong supporters of childcare. so no I didn't I didn't feel that and in at home we didn't have that level of support in Brisbane even yeah because mum and dad was still in Dolby and his family um, were uh, for some time on the Sunshine Coast, but essentially in the UK. So it wasn't new for us. We were, we were, child, our kids were childcare kids from the start, and uh, it certainly, it's certainly suited us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a thing. And and there are plenty of people who, who you know, would have filled those gaps, but we didn't feel we needed it. So you've you've worked
2: um, in the education system, you know, throughout Queensland. Um, and you mentioned that you worked in Maroochydore before the interview. I'm curious because teaching in Maroochydore and then 10
1: years or so later teaching up in Arnhem Land. It was never my plan. (laughs) It was never my plan. When I left teaching in in 93, um, as much as I loved it, that was one of my attempts to do something else. Okay. Where, you know, I thought, well, maybe maybe I can, in fact, be a journalist Maybe I maybe I might be able to um, uh, be like a education columnist, or a, you know, I've always wanted to have my own syndicated column. It's a kind of my thing.
2: Why don't you do it? I,
1: well, I don't know why I don't do it. I don't know. Don't know if I know how, but I do it in my head every day. <laughs> but I've always always thought of that, and that was going to be a, a thing. And then coming here was probably a really good opportunity to do something like that as well. But. Um, the high school was there. I did a couple of days relief at the high school, and I vowed that I would never, ever, ever, ever go back there. It was dreadful. I had a couple of really dreadful days. I, I shan't name any names or anything, but I had a couple of really dreadful days. I'm going. My goodness, this is this is oh God. This is the end of the earth. And uh, anyway, I, I, uh, two days is obviously not time enough to make a decision, and uh, I decided just to. Settle back in, you know. The travel wasn't going to last forever, and and to settle back in, and and um, I applied for a time a a, um, a permanent job there, and uh, and was lucky enough to nab it, and that's where I've been ever since. I remember the principal when I first arrived was a lady called Shirley Hooper. I'm sure you know, yeah, yeah. yeah she's um, very highly regarded and uh, a delightful woman, and I, and I was with Shirley that I did those couple of days of relief, and she was really supportive. Um, of me and uh, oh god there were great people there in those days you know the names you can just rattle off hey yeah such great staff such great teachers have moved through that high school and and you know there's only a couple of us a couple of the old guards still there now but um god it's it's a fine place and and I and I found my I found my stride there I didn't think I would probably part of me hoped I wouldn't because that would force me to do something else but um, in the end, you, I don't reckon you can change it. I don't think you can necessarily mess with your own, with that kind of passion too much. I, I just love being there.
2: Was there a like a, a light bulb moment up at Nolan Boy High School when you were
1: like actually? Yeah, I had some shit days. Yeah, 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 yeah. But Early like- on. Yeah, I think um, absolutely. I think that when. Um, it didn't when I started to work permanently there uh, which would have been in which was in 2004 um, I was simply astounded by the quality of the children the quality of the, the capacity of kids because for some reason people often will people seem to think oh, it's not the same in gove the standards not the same in gove it's outpost of Everything and so educationally, what can you expect? People think that if they come here with clever kids, their kids are going to be really, really clever, because they don't think there's ever there's other clever kids. And the fact is, it's just a naught. No, it's got the same profile as any other community in any other part of of, of the world. They're very, very clever kids, very, very um, kids with really good school ethics. Kids who are very finely tuned. Students got a very fine sense of being a student, and um, I was absolutely astounded by the capacity and by the resourcing in that place. They had they had resources there, and they still do have resources there that um, in English anyway that are that are you know inc- incredible. They'd been really thoughtful work done for years in you know just simple stuff like what books they'd be and and how and how things were were managed. and and uh, and there was just a real sense of desire to do well. you know, so you, well, uh, you know we can talk for we've already proved it. We can talk for hours about the amazing careers that young people from that school have been have gone through. You know, we have we have fighter pilots, we have um extraordinary uh, people in the public eye, people who are journalists, people who are artists, we have. You know, my little list of the hundreds of hundreds of kids who who've worked with me through year twelve are some of the highest achieving young young and now not so young adults, um, that you would ever want to be with, you know. Amazing.
2: Yeah. Amazing.
1: And we we also I think the opportunities for things like the over the top tour yeah. uh, showed themselves to me reveal themselves to me here and and I don't think that would ever have happened anywhere else. That's what's kept me there. Yeah. Was that capacity to expose people to, expose young people here to international travel? Not that they needed me to do that. People are very well travelled here. Yeah. But the sense of of travel for singular educational purposes is something that um, I think is is incredibly important. Why so. do you think that people here can do that rather than like? Oh. Well, there, there is a, a making a choice to move to a remote mining town is tough but f- for many people who do come here there is a financial reward mm-hmm. there's a level of support um, a level of, of um, amenity that's offered to people that's attached to their job yeah. um, We many people in town not everybody but I, many people in town get some support with airfares for example yeah. and so I think that if you were to do a bit of a straw poll uh, on average, people who live here and live here for any period of time are probably in a position uh, to be better travelled than the average. I think. I think that's true. Totally. I've not done the the poll. Yeah. But I think that's true. I think there's definitely truth in But that. but when you know lots of lots of people um, uh, uh, well travelled, lots of people been to Bali many times, and and as we have. You know oh, those definitely. wonderful, wonderful kind of uh, you know. We take we've taken the kids there a number of times. Great little short little short trips like that. People take advantage of where we are and tr- make those make those places their destinations. So did we, but um, I had a, c- a compulsion to um, look at travel for specifically educational purposes. And uh, right now we're talking about. An over-the-top tour for grown-ups, really? Yeah, so to bring oh some of goodness. the parents whose kids went on those tours, who might like to join us on an Jump adult, board. yeah, <laughs> an adult tour, see how what it was all about. Um, but uh, you know, that was four times we managed to do that. Yeah, uh, until the until the terrorist alert um, pulled our rug up, out from underneath us. But. Uh,
2: is it really four times?
1: Yeah, because I was on the first one. You were? I? That's insane. Yep. Two thousand and seven, two thousand and ten, two thousand and thirteen, two thousand and fifteen. Gosh. And then, and now it's now Random. it's finished. Yeah. Now they've got now the Japan trip is slotted in beautifully, mm. at the school. But um, yeah, I'm still I still pine for Europe. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, me too. I think. Do you think? And this is just from. I guess my experience with it or maybe my memories of it, it, was, it feels like a lifetime ago now. But I feel like another, another big thing why we could go on it, that trip specifically was the community support. I feel like there was a lot of support from I think local businesses, right? We did a lot of um, like car washes and stuff. Uh, fundraising events but I feel
1: like the community kind of gets behind these things which' oh, is super cool it's the most it's the most generous of communities very generous community and businesses yes and the large organizations yes but just um you know just Mr and Mrs Joe blow as well who just go you know this is this place has been good to us so yeah I'll have a burger and here's 50 bucks and that's how it often happens you wash my car and here's 50 you know, and I think that that's uh, that's very much a hallmark of this place, very much.
2: What do you think your favourite, what's your favourite thing about living here? I feel like I might partly know the answer to this, but, yeah, what is it that keeps you and Andy
1: stuck here? Not stuck, I don't want to say stuck. <laughs> oh, we're stuck. We're stuck. <laughs> the rain.
0: <coughs>
1: <laughs> um, I, I, Sometimes what, you know, really what keeps us here is that we don't really know where we want to go next. I think that that's, that's part of it. But um, being here enables us to travel and we're, we're both um, pretty keen travellers. Our kids are as well. So we, we, do, we kind of plan around that oftentimes. Um, we've had many, many, many really good friends who've left And that's been really difficult. And we moved through that curtailment process and it was very difficult. But um, we find ourselves surrounded, always seem to be surrounded by really good people and that helps to keep us here. Andy's been sick, of course. Andy's uh, twice times... uh, Twice times, is that right? Twice time cancer survivor. And um, we've been very well supported here in Gove. With um, you know GP services and that marvellous hospital and you know further treatment on in Darwin that that uh, is also are all, is also compelling, um, but we do sometimes now as as we kind of come to next stage stage, we're not really sure how we're going to I don't know disentangle ourselves from here. <laughs> so that's why we stay. <laughs>
2: I feel like what, what about I mean I'm putting words in your yeah, mouth that's here okay. Wendy, that's right. That's right. But what about what about your beautiful house in France? Oh yes. Oh is that what you meant? Is <laughs> that okay. what you meant?
1: Yeah, well that, yeah, that exists. And uh, and it's it's part of the deal as well. It's um we we were and and that came out of that was born out of a a pretty dark time for us when Andy was sick and and uh, in, in a, a, I don't know, I don't remember the details now, but in a, a perhaps a six-month period, um, uh, we had confirmation that Andy had survived, uh, it was a cancer survivor, if you like, um, which was wonderful news. But, and then in the next six months, I lost my best friend to cancer, a very good friend of mine in Brisbane, and Andy lost his really good friend, John McGuinness from Gove, who died of cancer in the same year. And... Um, we were devastated we, we had a it was a really dark time for us and um ju- it just really happened one night when we said well what is it we want to do we've seen these we'd seen these two young people just snuffed out you know for all the all the will and all the fight in the world they'd just gone and um and and one of the things that we'd always talked about doing is, is is owning a little a little tiny place in in France. I don't even know why we don't speak French. We, there's <laughs> nothing about it, but and uh, sort of within a couple of months, we just had done that, and uh, so we stumbled upon this wonderful old house. It was built in 1791. We wanted a. We had decided that that's what we would do. That would be our kind of symbolic nod to the fact that life is temporary and that you must do all that you can to make it best for you and for others. And um, all we said, to, uh, we must have said to an estate agent somewhere in France at some point that, that we were looking for a house that was a really good example of its type. You know, the French uh, French architecture is really regional and we didn't care what region we lived in but we wanted to buy a house that had been untouched and was a good example of a particular architectural style and and we just got a call out of the blue, really, that this house had just uh, slipped into our price range, been on the market for a long time, and it, and it had been untouched for decades. Um, but it was per- structurally a perfect example of a Charente's farmhouse. Didn't mean much to us, but we knew <laughs> we wanted something untouched, and it was true, something real. And uh, so we bought it. it, just simply, just bought it. And he ran over there quickly and uh, was absolutely enamoured by it, loved it. He said to me on the phone, he swore, and I won't swear here, but he said, it will break us. It will break us emotionally. It will break us financially, but we have got to buy it. And I said, just go and buy it. And that's what happened. And, And now it's, you know, we're renovating it, restoring it. We've moved from renovation to now restoration, which is wonderful where we're you know trying to match woods with 17th century or 16th uh, sorry 18th century wood and we're trying to match tiles with 18th century tiles and trying to make sure everything's everything's as perfect as it can be and and inviting the world to join us there so many people have been up in the five or so years that we've owned it there's uh, hundreds of people have crossed that threshold and more than a hundred have stayed and um, it's certainly not a commercial venture. it's just our gift back. And uh, everyone who comes there loves it. There's a spirit there. there's a sense of there's a sense of something there, and that's because of our motivation. we We just wanted to we wanted to do something that was crazy that showed us that whilst we were still alive, that we could that we could provide that we could do something, change something. Build something and share, and share something, and, and that's literally what we do. People come there and say, "Well, what can we give you?" We've stayed here. We've been here for two weeks. You know, we've 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 used all your wood, and uh, we've drunk all your grog, or you know, whatever. And, and um and people will say, people say to us, "Well, what if we what if we go and cut you some wood? What if we go and buy you half a dozen bottles of wine? What if we clean the windows?" and um and that's what people tend to do and they they leave a little bit of themselves there and people come back we've got now we've now got people who say we we not not only did we love being there the first time but now we need to come back so it's got a a kind of a a cyclical thing which is marvelous it's beautiful yeah it is marvelous and uh We thought our kids would be really excited about it. They don't like it very much. (laughs) Long way away. It's quite boring, and uh, you know, old. That is
2: not boring. I (laughs) feel like I've like gone over the edge. Like, yeah, when you're in your like late teens, it's like that's boring. (laughs) When you get into your late twenties, you're like, this is. They will love it. Yeah, they will come to love
1: it, and I think they do love it already. But uh, they've got other, they've got other, um, other uh, ventures. Yeah, ventures in their head. But uh, it's, it is beautiful, and it's, it's. uh, you know, I think people people carry on about things like spiritual places and things like that, but I tell you, it, it does feel <laughs> lovely. It does feel yeah. lovely to be there. Amazing. And, and we wouldn't have that. We wouldn't have been equipped to do that had we not lived here. And that's it. That's, that's what it's been for us, really. It's a, a grand journey. It's been a grand journey and we're huh, still
2: living it. It's pretty incredible that... Um that house came from something
1: so sad, and it's turned into something so beautiful. It was a bitterly sad time, and and I think that you know maybe it, there's some learning in that. That when you are at your at your absolute, I mean, I cancel I cancelled the same year I cancelled my fiftieth birthday, and you know, my fiftieth birthday party, and you know, um, de- your death of your friends is is a uh, we. I don't know, I'd never accounted for it really before. And for both of us, it was it was a very, very difficult time. And, um, yeah, and so you've got to make something good from it. You've got to bring something good from it if you can. And this was our good thing. And there it is, there it sits. Yeah, what a good yeah. thing to have. Yeah, there she is. <laughs> She's an old girl, an <laughs> old girl a- with plenty of stories to tell.
2: <laughs>
1: the best kind of girl. Indeed.
0: <laughs>
2: Wendy, in an ideal world, what I don't know. This is going to sound corny, but what are your what are your hopes and dreams for the next five to ten years?
1: Do you mean for me? Yeah, like me, myself. Oh, wow. Well, I'd like to be able to. Um, I'd like to be able to extricate myself from here because our age and our work will uh, will dictate that. You know, pretty soon. I'd like to leave here. Uh, I have a, a great, a great hope that uh, that I will be able to protect my husband from. And I know I can't. I, I'm not able to control his illness. He has a he has a genetic disposition to the cancer that he gets. And I know that I'm not able to control that. But up until now, um, in some ways, my vigilance has prevented him from having a secondary cancer so and so I have a determination to protect him from that to or to be part of his protection from that. So I want to keep him well for all of us. Um, I want to I, – I believe now I'm at the top of my game in terms of my work. I've, I have no aspiration and I never have had any aspiration to climb up any kind of career ladder. I, I want to, to live to end my career as a classroom teacher, because that's I think where where we do our very best work. I, I, and that's important to me. Um, so we'll we'll have the next five or five or ten years I think will see us um, removed from here. I, I'd like to find the niche where I can write, or where I can speak more widely than what I do now, um, and to talk about education and talk about the things that I think really work for people. I don't think we've got it... In, for young people, I don't think we've got it entirely right, but I think we we are starting to explore really right avenues. Um, in in an ideal world, you know, I, I love being with my family, my extended family, my, my siblings, their their wives, husbands, children, my parents... Um, Andy has a wonderful family in um, in the in the UK, and so we'd like to be in a place where we can we can bring all bring all those people together more and more often and and, and spend time real time um, with those people. I don't think I'm answering this question very well. I think you're answering uh, it perfectly. But, uh, and and I want my French house finished. <laughs> <laughs> I want her finished. Uh, And I don't know that it will ever happen that she's finished. But uh, this weekend she's hosting uh, the spillover from a 90th birthday party in our village. (laughs) So I've had photos this morning of, you know, my French neighbour cleaning the floors and um, just to get ready for her her new role as the spillover venue. And uh, I want that to continue. I want everyone in the world to, I want everybody who means anything to me to come to that house. I want to have my 60th birthday there. I'm going to have three wild boar on a spit. Sorry, Mon's a vegan. <laughs> um, but I'm going to have wild boar in great chunky fat slices between beautiful baguettes <laughs> and lots and lots of red wine for my 60th birthday. So that's within the five-year parameter. And I want everyone, all the people that I've met here, all the teachers that have moved through that through that school, all of the parents of my kids' friends, all of my kids and their friends, I want them all in the one place at the one time, one time. And so 19th of June, 19, uh, two, no, 2022 is the day. That's what I want. I miss my 50th. That's my dream love it that's my dream anyone
2: out there listening yeah you're welcome <laughs> that is
1: your invitation. even if i don't know your name you're welcome <laughs> not true <laughs> there are some people who aren't welcome that's another story <laughs> <laughs> ah. i'd love to talk, i'd love to talk more about those the, the children from that school who have gone on to do amazing things Mm -hmm. but it's tough because so many of them have and it's and you you don't want to limit it and I think about um, the sadness that we've had at the school as well Mm -hmm. and uh, you know all of those things are part of being a long-term staff member you want to pay tribute to some of those old teachers you know people who are just inspirational in that place uh, what great stories we can, we can tell and what great things we can share but it's the students mostly I mean there are some stunning kids who've emerged from that place you'd like to document it somehow
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but uh, it's hard because there are so many and you'll always offend someone by leaving them out but goodness me there are some really really amazing young people who've emerged I can't, and I can't think of them all mm. I can't think of them all now Lots of them are still here, just being really good mothers. Yeah. Lots of them are still here, just being amazing dads, and and, and just working the same as we all work. Just and, and they that school provides such a, has provided you know really against the odds sometimes in terms of its resourcing sometimes in terms of its management as well the the, the extraordinary kids who, who pour out of it it would be great to document amazing amazing and you know and and all of the sadness as well those really really sad stories that all become part of the fabric of that place and and we all we, you know we think and, and old old teachers think about those things i think about kids all the time right back through, across that 17 years or whatever it's been 15 years or whatever i think about the, i think about so many of those kids and and such wonderful stories. You know something that doesn't happen here is we don't have reunions. Yeah. And that the that, that's one place where the distance does get in does get in your way. I have not heard of a reunion um of you know a genuinely the whole of the year level coming back together. And uh maybe that that's part of the the isolation that's part of the remoteness here as well. Yeah. But, uh, well, yeah, I, I guess I started
2: it like this, but I guess I would like to officially thank you for everything. It's part of like, <laughs> it's a nice excuse to get you on the podcast, but um, yeah, you've had a profound effect on my life. And yeah, like, I just want to, I really, like, I mean it with my whole heart. Like, thank
1: you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
2: That's good. That's good. That was fun. That was the 16th episode of Northeast Arnhem Land with Mon. Now, if you liked what you heard, it would be truly amazing if you could give the podcast a review and don't forget to click subscribe. I am always looking for people to chat with. So, if you want to share your story, please get in touch. All my contact info is in the show notes. As usual, I have to give a massive shout-out to GovFM. Without this community radio station, this podcast would not be possible. And, of course, I want to say thank you to you out there listening. Now, guys, I'm away on holidays next week, so the podcast will be on a one-week hiatus, but I will see you all when I return. My name's Monica O'Hanlon, and that was North East Arnhem Land with Mon.